I think it made me far more concerned about my staff feeling like they are a part of a developmental goal within the business rather than just an employee. So I, you know, I have these, especially right now, it um, feels like, oh, I have employees who are only going to be with us for a few months. But my biggest thing for them is, you know, these are 16 to 18 year old kids who are going to be going to college soon. Like the best thing I can do for them is to teach them work ethic by modeling it, you know, and, and make them not scared to work in restaurants because most 16 to 18 year olds get so scared of working in restaurants that they don't ever come back. This episode of Ride at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets, where this weekend it's a one-day seafood sale featuring whole Columbia Reel steelhead, lobster tails, king crab, Komodo oysters, sashimi grade ahi tuna, and much, much more. Again, this is happening this Saturday only, a one-day seafood sale at your local Zupan's Markets. And while you're there... Be sure to take advantage of another collaboration, Farm to Market Amber Lager, where Zupans has teamed up with uh, Breakside Brewery. It's an Amber Lager, 18th beer in their Farm to Market lineup. You can get that at your local Zupans. And, of course, take advantage of all the great deals that you can get via the news feed. Sign up online at Zupans.com and find out a great uh, great deals happening at your local Zupans. You'll also get great recipes in those emails. We've been talking about the great recipes that you can get there and work those into your regular routine uh, meal prep. Uh, we certainly appreciate that in our family. And then, of course, if you don't feel like cooking, take advantage of their meals ready to heat. Uh, they've got some great uh, deals on chicken pot pie, cedar plank salmon, lasagna, uh, find out all about this at zoopans.com and then stop by your nearest location, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. It's Zoopans Markets. Okay, here it is. Time once again. Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Core Johnson from Portland Radio, kink.fm. And time for a episode flashback, a classic episode. Uh, I'm, I'm doing classic in, in quotation marks. We're fairly liberal with it. But we enjoy these episodes, which is why we bring them back. And we actually didn't have to go too far for this episode, which comes to us by way of July of 2021, a conversation Chris had with Catherine Benvenuti, a pastry chef and owner now of Phil's. If you know the history of Phil's, started out as Phil's Donuts here in downtown Portland and is now Phil's out in Lake Oswego. And a great conversation that uh, Chris and Catherine had uh, about a year ago, talking about her journey into the Portland food world and what led her to Phil's. Uh, they also get into tipping at one point, so just be aware of that. There's a conversation about tipping. Uh, they also talk about uh, life-work balances, sweet versus savory. And then uh, I will also add in here, amongst all of this stuff, the crullers that you can get at Phil's are some of the best crullers that I've ever had. And I think they talk about that as well. So enjoy this episode. It's episode 282. Catherine Benvenuti of Phil's from July of 2021. Right at the Fork is brought to you by... 
Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by Portland Food Adventures. Join our host, Chris Angelis, and his colleague, Austri Enzyme, next September for a wildly delicious adventure through Western Sicily. Palermo, Marsala, and lots in between. Book now to make sure you don't miss the best of Sicily. Since 2015, PFA has been taking Portlanders on incredible journeys with Portland chefs and artisans to Europe and beyond. Check out the trips tab at portlandfoodadventures.com for Sicily, Spain, and more. Or contact Chris through the website right now while you're listening to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Well, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> A pleasant face this morning. Were you were you feeling that way an hour and a half ago? Oh my gosh. It's just been a crazy morning. She, oh. my little one, I mean, it's always a crazy morning, so I'm kind of like numb to it, but she, um, slammed her head into the corner of a wall last night and has just this giant welt on her head. So she's just been kind of all meltdowns, but I finally got her down for a nap about five minutes ago. Oh, good. I like the fact that you knew at nine 30 that you'd be ready at 1130. So, um, I was kind of, I was, I find that kind of amusing, but um, It, it is amusing. It's so funny that you say that because I, I think my husband and I both have gotten really good at like predicting when the storm is going to end, you know? Uh, that's good to know. I do that with my, I did that with my puppy on the beach when I knew he was about to jump on someone. I was pretty good at calming that down, but that's a lot different than kids. And how old are you? How old are your kids? I have a two, uh, well, she's almost three. She'll be three, August 6th. And then my son will be um, five just next week, July 25th. Oh, very good. Those are yeah. very easy ages. Yeah, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Super low energy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you get to, so your days off or are Monday and Tuesday, do you actually get to find any time to yourself anywhere along the way and or... Are you, do you gravitate towards work on those days too? Um, I mean, I, I've been trying to be just more present with my kids on my days off, especially since my, since we've opened Lake Oswego, the whole complex and, um, I'm a partner in Tasty. So it's, I'm there for, you know, 70 hours in the five days that I'm on site. So I try to not be working my days off, but yeah, I mean, I'm still responding to emails and text messages and phone calls and, you know, this morning payroll was due. So I submitted payroll this morning. Um, yeah. So that's a lot. That's a lot to do. Yeah. So, and I found it, I found it I was surprising that you were in on Saturday when we just happened by after a little lunch at Lardo. We just, yeah. Walk what by. time of day was that? I don't even remember. Pardon me? What time of day was that? Was that like late afternoon? It was, uh, I think it was around two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere so around there. I get in at like three that morning also. 
Oh no. And then yeah. what time did you get out of there? Um, probably four 30. Okay. So the plan at some point is for you not to have to get in at 3 a.m. Yeah. On a Saturday. Well, so that's Saturday morning. Yes. But we're only two weeks in, you know? Right. So yeah. you're just getting up to speed. However, it's not like you haven't been making Phil's donuts. That has been going on for a while. So you've, yeah. in terms of the recipes and all that, yeah. the procedures, I would imagine. And do you have new employees or did you bring those over from, um, from Portland? Well, so we are using the, that former bar King space, um, as our commissary kitchen. So, um, all of our fillings are made there. All of the doughs made there, which is what we were doing for the downtown location as well. So my staff that was downtown, a lot of them moved to the commissary. And then, um, most of the people that are out in Lake Oswego are entirely new employees. I was joking with Kurt Huffman that uh, we're going to have to be a like seasonal restaurant out there because um, all of my employees have to go back to school once high school starts again. <laughs> oh, well, so you get to start all over again, training everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's got to be a little bit of a challenge. So let me see. This is, it's, do you look back, and I guess I'd like to talk about how you made it to Portland with with Sean and started Bar King and all that, but if someone had told you uh, in January of 2020, when you were planning Bar King and putting it all together that, oh, just so you know, 18 months from now, you're going to have a your second donut shop, your partner will in that will have been gone. You're going to be a partner in uh, Tasty, the Tasty franchise, but John Gorham won't even be in town anymore. What what would you have said to that? Would you have thought someone was absolutely nuts if they suggested that was going to happen? Yeah, especially because I had uh, at that point, I had an 18 month old and <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's totally insane. I would have thought that's so crazy, especially with tasty. It just seemed so far out of reach as something that would ever happen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that and all donuts. the time. Yeah. And donuts. Yeah. And donuts. And, and, donuts. and that, and that yeah. yeah. Did you know leather before when you started Bar King or that was a Kurt Huffman connection? I'm sure. That was the Kurt Huffman connection. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so in that period of time, you had a, partner to start a new business with yeah and then and now he's not he's not in the business anymore so yeah. it's pretty crazy so um yeah i find it enter you know i've said to quite a few people that if someone had said that um john gorham and jose chesa were not going to be in portland anymore i would have said what happened if was there going to be a nuclear you know uh, attack or something yeah. it's crazy yeah. So think is. about, but it's been up and down for you. It had, I mean, what a crazy oh, yeah. year to open an exciting new place. And by the way, I, so I, you know, I live out in Manzanita. So the pandemic happened and I'm hearing about this new spot from everybody. Uh, I have some of my best customers that said, you have to go to Bar King and I never made it in. And then by the time I was planning that, boom, gone. Yeah. So how up? That's really up and down to have planned that, get it up and running. Yeah. And I, the only exposure I had to it was 
and since we decided to do this, I went through your Instagram to see how incredibly beautiful and cool the food looked. Yeah, there. thank you. So, uh, and then close it. Yeah, no I mean, the craziest thing about it is we, something that Sean King said so well is opening a restaurant is the hardest thing to do. It's, it, it's so incredibly challenging to train staff to get to the point of being open. And we did that three times with Barking. We opened Barking and then five days later, the governor mandated shutdown um, happened, but we, we actually closed the day before the mandated shutdown because um, for a number of reasons, but mainly Kurt um, came in that night for our first real dinner service. And um, he walked over to Loyal Legion and he had a panic attack. He was just like, I can't believe this is happening. People are out and we're packed. Loyal Legion's packed. Parking right. is packed. People aren't going to stay home unless we do something about it. So all of Chef's Table closed their restaurants and um, I hadn't even opened the bakery. I mean, we were going to open that Wednesday and I think we closed on like a Monday or something like that. So we, um, we were devastated. Um, I tried to get onto unemployment, couldn't get on unemployment because I'd been on maternity leave for a year and a half. So I said to Kurt, um, my only option here is to do something out of the bakery to make some money. And, um, so we started doing these brunch boxes and, I was doing like four pastries and a fruit cup and two coffees for 25 bucks. And it, I changed it every weekend. And then we started selling whole quiches and uh, focaccia. Haley Smith, who used to be the head baker at Trifecta, was helping me at the time. Trifecta is a space that was formerly Bar King. And um, she was so awesome to work with because she just completely rolled with the punches through it with me. And um yeah, it was, it was totally insane. And um, we just kept pushing. And I think that's what I love about the restaurant industry is that we have gotten beaten down on so hard through this pandemic. And like, we're just such gritty people, you know, we're just constantly scraping by and figuring out what next to do. And um, it's, it's surreal. And it feels like a complete dream. Um, everything that has happened in the last year and a half. And it also feels like it's been 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's like another era coming out of it. <laughs> so do, do you, um, do you feel you're going to be stronger, better operate, a better operator in whatever you do coming out of this or is it just nice to know you got through it and it's a, and it's a something yeah. for your life going forward that, man, I swung the big bat and I can handle anything now. Yeah. I think it, I think it did a few things to me. One, I think it made me kind of numb to uh, the chaos of restaurants, which I think before I held a lot of anxiety towards um, and I think this has made me just feel like, yeah, that's, that makes sense that now there's a flood in the kitchen. Um, and <laughs> you know, you just constantly dealing with new changes, um, and challenges, um, at such a rapid pace, it's, 
it just becomes a, a normalcy. And then um, I think it made me far more concerned about my staff feeling like they are a part of a developmental goal within the business rather than just an employee. So I, you know, I have these, especially right now, it um, feels like, oh, I have employees who are only going to be with us for a few months. But my biggest thing for them is, you know, these are 16 to 18 year old kids who are going to be going to college soon. Like the best thing I can do for them is to teach them work ethic by modeling it, you know, and, and make them not scared to work in restaurants because most 16 to 18 year olds get so scared of working in restaurants that they don't ever come back or they're so scared of it that they never leave, but they also don't have growth potential because of that fear, you know? So um, I think it was, it was one of those moments where the pandemic, you know, so many people were exposed for their poor management. And, you know, I, I have empathy towards those poor managers as well, because high stress environments make you a uh, horrible human being sometimes. Um, but I really think it showed me that my staff and uh, people in the industry are there to learn and they're there to make mistakes and they're there to get something out of it even if it's just for a month that they'll remember for the rest of their lives they'll remember how i made them feel they'll remember how working at phil's made them feel and um and that's been a huge motivator for me to just not stress about everything being perfect every day and focus more on my staff feeling like they're valued and like their mistakes were helpful in becoming better at their jobs and me becoming better at my job, you know? It's interesting that you point that out because um, what you're really keying on is growth and there is no growth unless you learn and yeah. learning comes from mistakes. So you have that going on internally and it sounds like you've at a very young age, I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you and I haven't come to, there, there are certain realizations that are just popping into my mind. And I'm thinking, wow, that, how did that not come to me years ago? But it's coming to you now, but you're dealing with that internally and, and you're growing from that. And obviously I think it sounds like you're going to be a better manager and operator because if you can deal with those tense situations, you can deal with them. But how did you, how do you view, you just kind of alluded to it, being called out for mistakes to the world, right? Yeah. That, that, that never happened before. Let's, let's say before Yelp, yeah. it was never there. And then Yelp came and then, yeah. you know, we had this 86 list last year in Portland. And I just felt like you just said it. You just said, you know, high stress environments can cause you to be a horrible person. And that's the restaurant industry. Not everybody across the board, but boy, for years, that's what the restaurant industry has um, uh, has had going for it. And for everybody to be called out, do you think there are going to be changes across the board because of that? I mean, that's like telling everybody, listen, you all have to lose 25 pounds in the next year. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to have to be because people we're in a situation right now where our staff 
gets to be uh, they're in they're in such short short supply, right? We're we're desperate for cooks in every restaurant, and um, I I just think that we have to realize that you have to treat people a lot better if you want them to stay. Uh, it doesn't matter anymore that you're this really well-known chef and you have all this experience. People aren't interested in, I mean, when I started out, I was working for free at most places because I just wanted to learn and nobody's interested in doing that anymore, nor should they be, you know, the disparity of wealth is so much greater in this country. And um, it's most people that I know are my age are still sharing a apartment with two or three other people because 15 to $18 an hour is still not that much money, even though that's really good money for working in the restaurant industry. You know, we, we work on such small profit margins as a entire industry. So, but. I would wonder though, if you were willing to work for nothing just to learn. Yeah. And you're saying that people aren't willing to do that today. Are we going to lose skilled chefs and creative people in the business who don't have the passion, who are just in it to go to work, get a paycheck and go home rather than people like you, who there were so many and still are who just did it because you loved it and hoped that the money would come later or, or that you'd be able to make a living. So I just wonder if people don't know who, you know, Sean is, or who, 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 uh, you know, Aaron Barnett is, and they don't care, are they going to be able to advance the way people under those people have over the years? I think they are. I, I think that, I mean, we, I think we could look at it two ways and we could point out that, you know, I think you have to have a positive attitude about it, honestly, because I think, I think this new generation of cooks that's coming up is um, going to be the future of food. Um, and I've been beyond impressed with young people that I've hired um, at Phil's and at Bar King um, that really are extremely knowledgeable about food and um, have far more resources at their disposal than I had when I started out. And then that Aaron Barnett had when he started out, you know, I mean, um, even things like YouTube, I, I wasn't able to watch uh, chefs teach amazing techniques on YouTube. You can literally learn how to decorate cakes by watching YouTube videos from skilled pastry chefs. That's outrageous to me. I mean, that's incredible free education. And, um, and then you get to practice it at your home without uh, the risk of ruining somebody's wedding day uh, in a bakery. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. Um, but, you know, I, I think that people can't really work for free anymore. Um, I was able to, I had uh, the luck of being able to do that. You know, I mean, I suppose maybe there's people who have enough um, income saved up or have family members who are willing to uh, pay their rent while they work for free at a restaurant. But 
you know, minimum wage is practically working for free based if you think about your budget, a budget of somebody living, especially in Portland, the cost of food, the cost of rent. I mean, you're just scraping by that wage. Um, it's so hard. But I, you didn't you didn't work for literally nothing for very long, right? That was just to no, that was uh, get in the door yeah. and then you yeah. would hope that either they or yeah. somebody down the street would start paying yeah. you because you knew something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was certainly illegal, you know? <laughs> yeah, but it was, a, but, it was a way in and who was going to report you except, <laughs> except maybe you would have reported them at some point, but, um, yeah. but you, you know, you had a vested interest in doing what you were doing. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll take a green cook with a positive attitude over any person with an ego and a ton of experience, you know? I'd rather train somebody from the ground up and pay them the same wage as somebody that has an ego. It's just, it's so, there's nothing more toxic to a work environment than ego. And, and some of these green cooks have it, but most of them are just so excited to learn that uh, they, they listen so literally to what you say. They do exactly what you tell them to do, you know? And um, it's, uh, it's exciting to have that young energy that is so passionate about what they're doing and knows so little in a work environment. That's what I loved about stages when I was at a higher level in restaurants and there were young cooks that were coming in and had zero experience and you got to learn from. I mean, they, they brought an energy that was so crucial to the kitchen because they had all of the enthusiasm about cooking and they weren't jaded in the slightest, you know? Well, so I'm wondering, I don't know you, and I trust you're saying everything from the heart, but I have heard from quite a few people who've been in the business for a lot of years yeah. that there isn't a great attitude amongst younger people coming in and who knows, you know, that was before the pandemic. So I don't know if that yeah. changed everything, but so you're, you're touting a completely different uh, line than I'm used to hearing. So yeah. I'm just wondering if donuts are more fun. And so there, you've gotten a different crowd than someone who's working at, at nighttime till one in the morning in a difficult you know, environment. I don't know. I'm just, uh, I'm curious about that because yeah. I've heard for, from quite a few people that it's really hard to find good, motivated people now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I have not entirely had that problem at all, actually. I, um, I've heard that also from a lot of people. Um, I feel like um, I can't, I can't speak to what what the people are like that they've interviewed, you know, I didn't interview those people or maybe I did and they were just uh, a different character with me. I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I do think that you can bring out work ethic in people by modeling it to them rather than demanding it of them. You know, I, I think that would be the key. I was, I was going to say maybe they actually made it to the interview with you after they didn't show up for the interview with other people because that's yeah. endemic. You know, that's yeah. what you hear. And, and uh, restaurants are having a really, really hard time. Oh, we're having staffing a hard time finding staff. But I will say that the staff we found are great people, you know. 
I mean, at Tasty, the the staff we found are great. There's a lot of green cooks in there with zero experience or very little, but they are super positive, super respectful, wanting to pitch in, wanting to be a part of it. You know, like they, there's still that understanding of what it means to work in a kitchen. And so are any of the former tasty people there? Uh, I would, yeah. I would think it would help a lot. to have a little bit of a bridge. Yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, uh, Dustin and Nate are sous chefs for Mike Kessler at Tasty. Uh, we're former um, sous chefs at Tasty. And um, uh, Dustin went, worked for uh, Toro Bravo for um, Mike for a little bit at Toro Bravo. Um, and um, all of our service staff pretty much worked at Tasty before. And Faye Crosswhite, who's the partner in Tasty. Um, she and I worked together in Los Angeles for years and we have a great relationship and she brought on almost all of the former service staff that she had when she was there. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot and it definitely helps. Yeah. Oh, it, I, would I mean, imagine. it's crucial. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked if there wasn't that knowledge and understanding of what Tasty was. Right. And not only that, you've got quite a few restaurants in that group to draw from. It's not just, it wasn't just Tasty and Daughters and Alder. There was, yeah. as you mentioned, Toro Bravo and some other uh, restaurants that uh, understand how that operated and that how Tasty would operate too. Yeah. So how's it doing over there? Has, it, has everything, is the official opening this weekend, I believe, for everything? It is. It's the 24th. Yeah. Oh, that's well, that's kind of serendipitous that I happened to catch you right before that. This was not planned to jam you on those days, but I guess oh, yeah. you, you hope you're jammed, right? You hope it's yeah. a big party over there. Uh, yeah, we hope it's busy. Um, we're, there's going to be a bunch of free donuts and uh, there will be alpacas. So you can pet some alpacas and uh yeah, it's it's going to be really fun. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm honestly I'm so pleasantly surprised by how excited the community is that we're there and how gracious they've been and um it's really fun to have so many people come in and say Phil's Donuts, isn't this a franchise? And I'm like, "Nope, I'm the owner and I'll be taking your order." <laughs> I, that was that surprised me the other day. I didn't know, you know, what you looked like, so I asked for you and that was you serving the donuts. So, that's pretty impressive. Um, and it's a little, you know, I've been I used to live out there and I would not beg, but implore people like Kurt and Rick, who, you know, were good friends of mine. Yeah. To Rick Giancarelli and Kurt Huffman to yeah. come out Southwest because I thought it's, there's a nice market out here of people who like food, can yeah. afford it, and don't really want to drive into Portland all the time. Every time they want to, most times they want to go and dine somewhere special. So yeah. I'm so glad to see it happening. And I think it'll be interesting because I think the, the people out there, it's a different market. It's yeah. only 10 miles away. But have you found that so far? Have you have you noticed a difference in the clientele that <laughs> came into downtown Portland and Lake Oswego? Well, I mean, I opened in the middle of the pandemic downtown. Um, so it was 
such a weird time to open anything, let alone a donut shop at the corner of uh, Southwest 13th and Washington, you know, I mean, that's just such a hard area. And I think what I've noticed about being in Lake Oswego is really just that there's a lot of families, you know, I mean, downtown, we just didn't get that. We would just get a few people who were on their lunch breaks and um, not a whole lot of families, some, but not, not a lot. Um, And we actually had a lot of regulars who would drive from Lake Oswego to Phil's downtown for donuts. So it's interesting to see. I didn't know that. Uh, Honestly, I really didn't. And then some of them would show up here and they were like, yeah, we've, we live out here. We would just come to get donuts down there. Um, So that's been cool to see a lot of familiar faces, but. And I don't know if it was planned or just, uh, or you, it just was a great idea because the opportunity was there, but I would imagine it was pretty good to, and of course the, the overlaying factor as it was a p- pandemic, but it was probably pretty good to take over Blue Star, which already the space where you didn't take over to the business, you took over the space where Blue Star Donuts was. And I would imagine that didn't hurt you because people are already used to donuts at that spot. Yeah. Yeah. I, we had a lot of people come in and say, oh, is this Blue Star? And you're like, no, this is Phil's. And they're like, yeah, but you're Blue Star, right? Right. <laughs> no, we're Phil's. But yeah, I feel that way completely. And, um, you know, Katie, uh, the owner of um, Blue Star, one of the owners, um, she sent Leather and I a bouquet of flowers with a really sweet note that was just like, this space was so special for me when we opened. And uh, best of luck to you in this space as well. Um, and honestly, that really set the tone of positivity for taking over that, over that space, because I was a little concerned about it, um, being that we weren't doing, we aren't doing Blue Star in any way. And, um, our donuts are very different from what Blue Star is doing. But but they're unique and special and any, you can argue this, right? Uh, Anybody can argue Mm -hmm how special Blue Star was or how special, you know, in, a, in the unique in different ways. But Blue Star, I think, wasn't voodoo. That, you know, that was one thing. But Blue Star set the tone for an elevated donut, I think. Yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. that's what people were probably expecting. Oh, Phil's may not be Blue Star, but it's going to be something more. And also something that's worthy of this price point because – you know, I go back to when a dozen donuts was almost what one is. Yeah. Now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I w- would think that helped, but I would imagine you also had a little bit of a challenge in saying, yeah, we're doing something different. So don't expect that, but we hope you enjoy what we have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that especially now that we're in Lake Oswego introducing the new line of donuts that isn't filled, the crawlers, which are just a fried patachou dough and the um, brioche rings has really helped us uh, connect to an audience that is used to, um, you know, a grocery store or um, the donut we all grew up with, you know, a maple bar and a chocolate bar, you know? So And it it makes people willing to try the other donuts also, the fills. 
And they're still our biggest sellers, all of the filled variety of donuts. I mean, we, the Boston cream outsells every donut on the menu, um, which is a classic donut, but the technique there is very skilled, you know, I mean, we're making a ganache glaze for that donut and um, we're making a real pastry cream with whole eggs and milk and real butter. I, I mean, it's not and real vanilla bean and vanilla extract, you know, I mean, the, the technique involved for a 399 Berliner is I'm really proud of that, that we can get that price for the amount of skill and ingredients and technique we're using, you know? I think, um, you know, over the past few years, I've, I, I've had to get used to a croissant not being a dollar fifty anymore and go and just they yeah. crept up quickly two yeah. bucks three bucks four I just paid five for one yeah. recently and I've been to France where they're a buck mm -hmm. and they're better <laughs> so um, so but I've said this quite a bit when when I heard anybody talking about Blue Star and saying oh my god four dollars for a donut just think of it in terms of a little pastry that's what it is it's just it's yeah. called donut that's all yeah. and um, I think I, I the the time and trouble and the ingredients that you put into that are absolutely worth it because you know croissants are great but they're not quite as they're complicated if you do them right yeah. but they're not but you've got to come up with different recipes and execute them and find the perfect ingredients it, there's more to it than what actually went into yeah, it on Monday morning. A living wage, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you have that, that too. So I noticed that you have less of the um, savory variety where you're left with the, I looked at the menu this morning. Yeah. The pimento. Oh God. I wish I would have gotten that the other day just to try it because the sesame seeds on that are what get, get me. Yeah rolled in the sesame seeds. Yes. It's really delicious. <laughs> it's really delicious. It definitely has this small cult following. Um, but yeah, I mean, the main reason why we've cut down on the savory offerings, I mean, other than the fact that they just never sold that well, despite people loving them. I mean, especially when leather was making all kinds of crazy things. He was doing like a Thanksgiving dinner donut. It was like one of the best things I've ever tasted. Right, but this is a guy who had a, a show on Netflix about, you know, yeah. smoking, smoking weed and making food. So that every time I saw one of those creations, I was like, well, there's leather again. Oh, yeah, it just had leather written all over it. it <laughs> um, I think that it would have taken off well had we not been, one, in the middle of a pandemic, and um, two, just in the location we were in. You know, that, that area of downtown was pretty hard to get people to go to. So, um, at that time, at that time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, I, I think the biggest reason why we've pulled away from the savory is also that we have our burgers now that start at 1130 and they're on our delicious fried brioche bun. And, um, which is what we also fill with all sorts of pastry creams for our Berliner donuts and that fried brioche, as a burger is ridiculously good and it's so simple and the price point is so great. I mean, that's, that is all the price point. There is all thanks to Kurt Huffman pushing me to really make something affordable if we were going to do burgers. And, um, 
Well, you yeah, know? now you've gone from what I, the way I look at it, and I'm not an expert. I'm just an eater. You know, mm-hmm. I, I eat just like everybody else. But you've <laughs> gone from something that everybody looks at a menu and has to navigate and say, oh, what would that oh, taste no. like? I don't know if I want that. Maybe yeah. I'll just get a Boston cream to something that everybody absolutely is familiar with and it's easy to think about. And it's no longer on the higher side, the price. It's now on the lower side. Now I get a burger for, what is it, $3.99 or? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and it's the perfect highbrow, lowbrow, um, to me, combination because you know, these donuts are really high end, really elevated. And the, the burger is so simple. Everyone's getting the same burger. Um, but we're still using great ingredients. You know, we, uh, we use organic flour in that brioche dough and, um, the beef we're getting is from country natural. It's super high quality, entirely pasture raised. It's, you know, the best beef patty we could buy. Um, but you think you know, in a, it's a kind of a thin burger. Do it's, you think, a, it's a two ounce patty. So right, you, know, so you can get it, this great price point. And would it really matter though, if you didn't get that, if you didn't get that high quality beef in a two ounce patty, as long as it's a little juicy and tastes good. I don't know. I'm just, but well, I think that's great. That's what you do is worry about every detail. Yeah, totally. And like, what does it mean to have it matter? Does it matter in the flavor? Does it matter in how we feel about what we're doing to the environment? You know, I mean, it's like, what is our responsibility as restaurant owners? Is our responsibility to just make food that tastes good? Or is our responsibility to think more holistically about our impact on the environment and um, the, you know, the responsibility I have as my own personal brand, people especially from the bakery at Bar King knew that I was using organic butter and organic cane sugar and all these things. So when we opened Phil's, it was like, okay, well, how does somebody who has gone that high end do an affordable donut shop and still use quality ingredients, you know? Well, so we're not using organic butter anymore, but we're still using European style butter. And we're not using organic cane sugar, but we're still using unrefined cane sugar. You know, I mean, we made these small tweaks um, that are still high quality ingredients, but made it so easy to make, make a more affordable thing. I mean, we, at the bakery, you know, our sticky buns were $7. Um, People didn't bat an eye, but in a donut shop, that's an entirely different story. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you can't have a seven dollar donut. <laughs> well, you can, but you have to explain it, and there's not much explaining that can happen. Unfortunately, yeah. not everybody has the time to do that. Chris, we are going to pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, a uh, Portland institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, and uh, 78 years, I understand now, man, it was the 75th pre-pandemic, and now, boy, that, that time went fast. 78 years, we should cover the necessary particulars about what they're doing now. They're offering indoor dining and uh, heated and covered outdoor dining, and they're also doing to-go, which I want to talk about in a second, but also they're doing seating in the bar as though it was the restaurant, so that beautiful bar that they just rented innovated a few years ago is now kind of part of the dining room but it's it's got a cool vibe to it so um 
So all sorts of the hours are uh, four to nine on weekends, or four to nine thirty on Saturday. Actually, four thirty to nine thirty on Friday, five to nine Wednesday and Thursday. So they're closed now on Monday and Tuesday. Although if you check in, sometimes they will be open on Tuesday. Um, and also, if you call an hour and a ahead you can get to go your food to go i just did a party with 10 people at my house ringside provided all the food and it was spectacular we had new york strip boneless new york strip steaks which were easy for me to do on the grill and then slice up the mashed potatoes all sous vide were fantastic we got ingredients for salad hazelnuts two types of dressing green beans, uh, and oh, lobster tails as well. And uh, it was really easy to do. And also for dessert, very simple, some of the best toffee you're ever going to have. You just throw that on a plate and it's all good. So we were looking for something that was less work intensive and ringside provided it. It's very nice. So whether it be for a special occasion like Valentine's Day, and we should recommend get those reservations made right away, or a special occasion happening at your place, Ringside Steakhouse has you covered. Yeah, and you can find them on Open Table or at ringsidesteakhouse.com for reservations, or you can call them at 503-223-1513. That's 223-1513 for reservations and uh, to order something to go. Do you think the fact that you're a, a loving mother of young children makes you more concerned with, you know, I just asked the question as a, as a father of grown kids, like I yeah. cared, I cared what they ate. I don't have to care what they eat anymore because I have no control over it. I don't even yeah. know. Yeah. But do you think that makes you care more about what you're doing to the environment with the food that you are serving than perhaps if I was in your shoes? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I say that because I think when a lot of sustainable practices came about 10, 15, probably way before that. I mean, folks like yeah. Vitaly Paley have been doing it forever and they did it from the heart. But I think there were a lot of people who were doing it for the PR value because they yeah. like to say that in the press releases. Yeah. But now I think it's you don't necessarily care that it's in a press release. You want I it in don't. someone's stomach. Yeah, I don't. And um, it's actually been an intentional thing that I don't promote anywhere on our menu board that we use unrefined sugars and all of these things and that we more just tell people who are interested when they come in. Um, I do think that me being a mom has something to do with it. I also think that um, the way I was raised has a lot to do with it. Um, those were just values that uh, my mom cared heavily about as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd like my kids to have a, a planet earth when they're older. And, um, I, I think we're heading in a really depressing direction environmentally and the, the little changes we can all make individually are important and also still be profitable businesses. You know, I mean, the reality of it is I can't use 100% organic ingredients because that donut would be $10. Um, yeah, so you started out with that, 
with that goal and then you had to adjust it as time as you as you ran the business and saw what was going I didn't on. have to adjust it with Phil's at all. We started with Phil's knowing what we wanted to do exactly. Well, you learned at Bar King. I'm just saying you started Yeah, but you know at Bar King we, totally we could do that there. People were exactly as you already said. People are willing to pay $5 for a croissant, but we have a different view of donuts and, um, and we have a different view of burgers as well. And that's, that's been a really fun position to be put in to make these high quality things at an affordable price. Um, because that is a, a very big challenge that we, um, all go through as chefs when we, when, when you make the choice to do something affordable, um, or that has this long lasting perception of affordability, you know, I mean, whether it be pizza or, uh, or donuts or ice cream, you know? Well, if you got me started on, you know, if you, I was just thinking about the fact that I've been telling people over the last few months, get ready that the norm for a burger, not yours, but the norm for a pub burger is going to start being 18, $22. Yeah. Cause it went up from 12 to 15 now after the pandemic and everybody's going to have to pay more. That's what it's going to be. And same thing. I mean, I come from the new Haven area and I just looked recently a large pizza with almost everything there is $18. Yeah. And out here, now you're tipping over 30 for that yeah. same thing. But the best deal in Portland is still at Pizzeria Oto. You can get the uh, happy hour margarita pizza for six bucks. Yeah, and well, there's all so good. Okay, and Nostrana always had one after nine o'clock. Same thing, five oh, bucks. Oh, I, I love it. Was. I don't know if they still have it. Yeah, but you. But that's you know that's searching yeah, but, and going oh, at nine o'clock. That's not when you usually want a pizza. My yeah. problem was when I had kids. So when I had little kids in Connecticut, we could feed the whole family for nine bucks, 10 bucks with a large pizza. Okay, that's there has gone up to 18 now. But then I moved to Portland and my kids are teenagers and one doesn't like what I like. Now we're ordering two pies and I'm there for 75 bucks for, yeah. for, to go out for pizza. So, I mean, that's the way it is. Um, We'll just it is, to... and the cost of ingredients, I mean, everything has to go up, obviously. Um, that's just, it, especially with things like grains. I mean, flour's almost a dollar a pound if you're going to use high quality flour, you know. Is that, is that up since that. a year and a half ago? Uh, slightly, but beef obviously has gone up tremendously. I mean, dairy, butter has gone up a lot. Um, uh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ingredients that there was a point where our egg buckets, we get whole liquid eggs um, to make our dough just for the ease of one of my employees not having to crack, you know, 60 pounds of eggs a week. Um, and it's a really great quality product, you know, and there was a point where it had tripled in price and um those egg buckets during the pandemic and you know there's just stuff like that that restaurant owners had to deal with and we weren't <laughs> we weren't going to be raising prices on anything not nope. at that point no not at that point you're just i mean you everyone was just trying to figure out how long they could bleed and some people still are um, yeah 
So I don't mean, I don't want to put you on the spot and you're welcome to tell me, I don't feel like discussing this and not even tell me why, but so long before the pandemic, mm -hmm. I had like at a bagel shop, I was known, not known to everybody, but my friends for, you know, pulling kind of a Larry David and saying, if someone's just putting bagels in a bag and handing it to me, they're turning the thing around and I got a tip line for 20%. Yeah. And I used my feeling was I can deal with that at a restaurant, although I started having a problem with takeout and that. Yeah. Um, at the end of the it's not the end of the pandemic, but over the last few months, I started bitching that. Why am I paying the same price that I'm paying to eat in a restaurant yeah. for food in a box? There's no dishwasher there. There's no hostess. There's yeah. no, you know, and I'm also paying for the tip. And now I'm seeing that I'm asked to clean tables, too, on top yeah. of it. So um, I just wonder how you feel about that as an operator. You know, you just started a donut shop not long ago. So yeah. it's not probably something you didn't think about. But as a consumer, how do, you, how do you feel about that? My feeling is for the bagel shops and the coffee shops, raise the prices enough to cover that. And don't ask me. Make it a positive. We're not asking you to tip. Just... Yeah, well, I mean, one would be that millions of restaurants have tried to do exactly what you said, and they failed miserably. I mean, but restaurants, um, that's different than a coffee shop, there where the cup of coffee goes from three to two seventy five to two ninety five or three ten. Yeah. So that's well, I mean, tipping is optional. <laughs> you don't have to tip. All right. Well, that's I mean, no, I no, think no. the problem. I think that your comment, uh, it, it's unfortunate. Restaurants have a very unique situation, which is um, we, we work, we have a very transient labor force, you know, and um, we also uh, have a very hard time banding together to do anything unilaterally, you know, I mean, right. uh, to say in LA, we, there was a point where restaurants were trying to get rid of tipping. I mean, this has happened since the 1900s. You know, I mean, people have been trying to there have been movements to ban tipping, to get rid of tipping for hundreds of years. And in and Europe, so, they succeeded, but they're going back now. They, they want a little change at the end of the meal. Yeah. I mean, I I think tipping is I mean, it's a it should be a six hour segment on your minimum on your show. I mean, it's it, just oh, if you add, we've been here eight years. If you add it up, we've had over six hours on this. It's just a complicated issue. Um, but my biggest thing would be to remember that uh, when we say, why can't you raise menu prices? Well, everyone would have to do that for it to work. Um, anytime any restaurant has tried to be the leader of that, they've always failed miserably. Right. Um, and two, um, you know, we restaurants work on little to no profit margins. I mean, there's not a ton of money in restaurants. Like if you it, are our goal as restaurant owners, especially in a bakery or donut shop, is to have labor be 50% of sales, you know? So um, when we look at that um, and we say, you know, 40 to 50% labor and um, adding 69 cents or whatever it is when people tip 15% on their donut order or whatever, um, that adds up to a lot of money for our staff that... I totally disagree. I think if we made our 
donuts 450 each people would lose it but the fact that they get the choice the personal choice that is so important in this country to so many people to decide whether or not they tip for whatever reason um you know i don't this isn't something that i study at all but for whatever reason people are always willing to tip more when they have the choice when it's an option um and that ends up being a lot of money for our staff. And we're in a really great situation um, where those tips are distributed evenly between all staff because everybody's a part of the service experience in a donut shop. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I have cooks who get to make almost 30 plus dollars an hour because of tips. And that's a living wage for a cook. And um, that means that I have retention amongst my staff, you know, and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think people would be okay with me just raising the menu prices. Okay. And then, you know, there's other cities where raising your menu prices, your, well, your rent is based on a percentage of your total sales. And, you know, I mean, there's, it's a complex, complex issue. Um, I don't know. I think Kurt Huffman one time said during the pandemic that if you can afford it, tip 30% because staff's hurting, you know, and restaurants are hurting. So that's a good point. So, and during the pandemic, I heard him say that and others. And so during the pandemic, for me, it was, and this is just me, but easier to go, okay, listen, I'm hurting too, but these people are trying to keep it going. But so my, I guess my question is coming out of the pandemic and I uh, should the restaurant industry figure out it's, labor issue and not put it on customers to continue to figure out or continue to contribute. And I only say this because at some point, so I started getting sick of eating out of boxes. And then when I got sick of doing that, I realized this is not the dining experience. And I've had conversations with a few people who own restaurants and they agree with me. This is not dining. This is eating food. Yeah. And so for to go in and pay exactly what I paid in the restaurant for that I for that dish. Yeah. And then be asked to tip 20% on top of that. That was a pandemic thing for me. And I'm a, I, I got over it and said, yeah. okay, I'll do that. But now that the now it's not a pandemic. I really wish restaurants would figure that out. So I wouldn't have to, it wasn't put on me to think about. And think about that part of the equation. Listen, I'm not a bad, I'm a good tipper. I when I go to a restaurant and I have great service, I yeah. just tipped 30% the other night at, uh, you know, at, well, the last two times I went out. Yeah. I'm a good tipper. I don't have a problem with that, but I just want to feel like I'm getting something for that Yeah. as a consumer. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just a really complicated issue. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of moving parts to tipping that um, there's just no one restaurant that could figure that out. And if you think the national restaurant association represents all of these individual restaurants, you're out of your mind, you know I mean? They, they don't have the leverage because they've never cared about these small restaurants. Um, So I, I don't, I don't think there's a network that could, really create that for restaurants that would make it, I mean, unless, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's too. Well, it was tried. It was tried by some real, it was passionately tried by, you know, Le Pigeon a few years ago. Tasty John and Renee tried to put the the double tip line on there. 
And I appreciate that they were all really trying. I guess my question is coming out of the pandemic, now that the prices are probably going to go up anyway, is that still, it's going to, and it's even more of a problem now because you have heart, you have to pay people more to stay. So yeah. it's a really crappy problem. And I think it's just like consumers for years, you know, when I grew up, gas was 60 cents a gallon. So yeah. we had to get used to this two, three dollar a gallon thing. It took a little while, but we didn't stop driving. But when we, but people, people were looking for cheaper cars. All right, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to drag you into this, but it's just something no, that always interested in me, especially when it comes to places like donut shops yeah. and where you're just literally someone's putting something in a bag. Yeah, that to me is. But then it, you're you're paying the. I mean the tip is going to the entire staff is the right. thing you have to remember. It's not going to managers. It's not going to me. It's going directly to the entire staff. And um, I, yeah. And I've seen me- that covered. I've seen that covered at the register. And I think it's, it's really important to know that it's not just, you're not just tipping that person right there. And I think in my head, I am. That's because, yeah, because I do too. I mean, I'm guilty of exactly what you just said. I went into flying fish the other day and um, the person working, I just bought a piece of salmon. The person working the register said, he said it really fast. Optional gratuity. It goes to our fishmongers. And I didn't hear him say all of that. And I selected no tip. And then I came back and I said, Hey, did you just tell me that that tip goes directly to the fishmongers? And he said, yeah, it does. And so then I bought something else so I could tip directly to the fishmongers. And um, that's a Larry David moment. If I've ever heard one, when you come back, Oh, you didn't want to tip me. but (laughs) (laughs) What did you contribute to this experience? I agree with you. However, I know how hard it is to be a skill set like a fishmonger um, where you are, you have to have so much experience to, work in that position. And, um, that still is a typically minimum wage position. And it's not because the restaurant doesn't care to pay their staff more. It's because people are not interested in paying any more for salmon than they're already paying, but some people are okay with tipping. And I mean, I think that's the challenge of it is, as restaurant owners, we want our staff to make more. And so, and tipping allows for that in a way that people feel like they have the freedom to choose whether or not they're going to do it, which they do. I mean, my staff's not going to not serve you the next time you come in. If you didn't tip them, they, they truly do not care. And the reason why they truly do not care if some of those people don't tip is because the vast majority of people tip very well. And That's and and I don't even I think even if everyone tipped five percent, I think they'd still be happy. I'm not asking you to tip five percent. I mean, tip as much as you can because it goes to hardworking people who um, suffer um, from the inequities of our system as a whole. You know, um, right? And I, I, that's an, a whole education job that nobody can tackle because it's been tried. It's been tried to say, you know, your your pork shop should be forty five dollars 
because yeah. of all that goes into it and everything yeah. that it takes. Well, and, I, and listen, the crazy thing is, is I've been listening to this. I've been in the middle of these conversations and I yeah. know a lot of people and I still am thinking, okay, that was a $2 cup of coffee. I feel like here's my problem. I can't write 25 or 50 cents. I got to do a buck. So now the $2 cup of coffee is three bucks. And that's yeah. where I say, I just wish it was three bucks. So I didn't have to think. Yeah. And, and be put in that position. And that's all I, that's all I'm saying. But I've also told myself, um, no one's listening to this to hear how I think, but I've also told myself many times, shut the fuck up and just stop thinking that way and do it. But it keeps coming back. It just yeah, keeps coming I back think it's me. a complicated issue. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, I mean, like you said, a pork chop costing should be $45. Well, I love that when you read like setting the table by Danny Meyer and he talks about his prices decades ago on his menu, he was charging $37 for a piece of halibut. And you go to a restaurant and they're still charging about that same amount for a piece of halibut. So we have, we've barely elevated our prices for fine dining in these um, environments. And um, the cost of everything has gone up tremendously. So including wage for staff, you know, so. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I looking at the clock here and I took up time talking about tipping when I wanted to hear about your donut experiences as a child. Can you quickly tell us what what some of your early donut experiences were as a child? Yeah, I mean, I think they were like most people's early donut experiences where um, I would go on the weekends to a donut shop with where I lived in, I grew up in Sacramento, California and um, Sacramento had great donut shops, you know, all little mom and pop shops. And um, I would say that I tired very quickly from donuts because I always found them to be really overly sweet and overly greasy. And um, I, I loved pastries. Um, I was always a fan of um, something that wasn't as sweet and was more buttery. And um, opening fills was a really great opportunity for that. That The whole idea started because when I was running the bakery at Bar King, um, Kurt loved the Berliner that I was doing and said, you gotta open a donut shop. We should open a donut shop. And you're you know, you're just doing these. This is the best thing on the menu. And um, I always thought that was so funny. <laughs> that was the best thing on the menu. But, you know, now it's the only thing that's left of the bakery and barking. So. Well, and he also thinks in terms of what's going to sell. Right. Yeah, that, that's yeah, totally. It's an easy sell. It's approachable. And that's truly what I love about donuts is um, they are so easy for people to understand. Blue Star has made it easy for us to charge an appropriate price for donuts um, that are handmade. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you can put, like we were doing at Phil's, you can put matcha and raspberry together, or you can put yuzu and peppercorn together. All of these things that you would do in a fine dining restaurant on a dessert menu, but not have it feel pretentious to people. And that is 
something that's so important to me. It was important at the bakery at Bar King. It's important to me at Phil's. I, there's nothing I dislike more than people walking in and feeling like what we're doing is pretentious. Well, on top of that, with the donut, you've got this perfect delivery vehicle. So yeah. mean, meaning that they can be start to eat it on their way out the door, which is what yeah. most people I'm sure do in their car and it's gone in no time. Whereas a pastry generally is a, let me get somewhere and sit down and put it down and, and eat it. So yeah, um, yeah no, it's a, you know, mine, how come we don't have Dunkin' Donuts here? I've never asked anybody that question. Do you have any idea why Dunkin' hasn't permeated the Northwest? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe, uh, maybe because of places like Voodoo and Blue Star, they just never thought it'd work. I mean, I love that there's so few large franchises in Portland in general. Um, right, but so some Duncan is so big, they wouldn't care. They would just care. like McDonald's. Although you know, you look at downtown Portland, the fast food places have not permeated downtown because they say, "Well, we got to go in the suburbs." And yeah. now you guys are going to the suburbs, so that's going to be interesting to see what shakes out with some of those franchises. Oh, totally, especially in this Mercado Grove complex. I mean, that would have been in in any other city. I feel like just a bunch of chain businesses going in there, you know, a bunch of franchises. Um, you would have seen like a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or, you know, uh, Starbucks. And I love that it's all of these independently owned restaurants and coffee shops. And um, yeah, I mean, it just, it shows how much Portland cares about community. And it's a huge reason why I moved up here from Southern California and a huge reason why I've, stayed through this pandemic is because of the community support. Well, you, you found some, some good ideas and some good people too. And, you know, I used to live in Lake Oswego 10 years ago. So I moved here in 2005 and you just drive down Cruiseway and Boone's Ferry and, oh, it's changed so much. And I think about the fact that my go-to place with my kids was, I don't know if it's still there, Goobanks. Fam it's a grill right there on Boone's Ferry. I'd be curious. Oh, and yeah, then Giant Burger was pretty big. And I saw the other day, that's still there. So, um, but it's, you know, to, to see Portland's food scene make its way there is really cool. And it's, uh, it shows that times have really changed. So um, I'm excited for you all for, and I'm excited for the people in Lake Oswego, many of whom, you know, I lived there. I didn't get to know a lot of people. Some of them really pissed off my my son and made his life miserable at Lake Ridge High School. So, um, but on the other hand, for you all, I think it makes so much sense. And uh, look, look, just look at it. You're not in downtown anymore dealing with that. Yeah. Hopefully downtown will come back, but that's, that's going to take a while. You went somewhere where everybody's going to be you're, you're going to be well-received and you don't have to worry about your car being trashed while you're in work right now. Yeah. Or putting out a fire on my way into work at three in the morning. Yeah. Did you do that? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. So that was, that was not in your training to be uh, in the restaurant business that you're going to have to put out actual fires, literal fires. Just not outside. Right. Not outside, inside. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, um, uh, 
I look forward to coming down again. What should I, you know, I feel like um, when I was there the other day, I thought you were sold out of crullers and you weren't. So I was so excited about that. And we just ate at Lardo. So there wasn't much room left for five donuts. But yeah. what should I have? I mean, I looked and there were so many that looked really good. What if you, obviously it's all, it's up to someone's taste. Yeah. Uh, what would I recommend? Had, if you had, Anthony Bourdain coming in to the restaurant, what is it that you'd want to serve him? That's a, that may be a terrible example right now, but he's my, he's, he was my guy. So. Yeah, totally. Me too. I love him. Um, I think that the maple bacon butterscotch is really delicious. And um, I know that Anthony Bourdain made that maple bacon bar pretty popular from voodoo. So there you go. Um, yeah, I love that one. We're using a real scotch in the custard. So, you know, you get <clears throat> a lot of flavor out of the custard itself. And then there's a maple ganache on top and applewood smoked bacon. And it's super well balanced and hard to say if it's more savory than sweet. And I love the Boston cream pie. And I love our seasonal options too. Like right now we have the Marion Berry cheesecake, um, the apricot jelly, those are Baird family orchards, apricots that we're using, you know, I mean, we're using great quality ingredients in these simple donuts. Um, and that's what I love so much about what we've been able to do with Phil's. Yeah. Just, looking, the, at, just yeah. looking at the menu is you want to try everything. And of course I love the egginess of that, um, of that the French crawler. The crawler. Oh, so me good. too. Yeah. It's like and you really you really executed it because my original experience with crullers literally goes back to Dunkin' Donuts, and that was my donut of choice there. Yeah, and me I think too. They, That's my Dunkin' Donut of choice. Right, and I think they went downhill over the time. And then moving out here, okay, you know who the only one I could find without going into Portland because I lived in Lake Oswego was going to Safeway. And boy, did that end up being really shitty after a while to the point where it's like, no, I can't even do this. I'm not even going to give it any um, uh, any leeway. So uh, I wish you were closer. I wish you'd come out and pop up on the coast. That would be kind of fun. We that have nothing. would be fun. Yeah, we, have, we had a fairly decent bakery out here and then that closed. So um, What bakery was that? Well, Bread and Ocean was in Manzanita. Okay. I didn't love their bread, but I, some of their other pastries were pretty good. Um, but that closed, and uh, now we've got a few people serving some pastries. I don't know where they get them, but hey, there, you, need a, you need a wholesale salesperson to get out here. And then on top of that, you need someone to be delivering every day, which is, forget that. That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we'll just charge $15 per donut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you don't have enough, you don't have enough restaurants out here to make it. No, I know, but I love Manzanita. It's so beautiful out there. Maybe I'll retire in Manzanita. <laughs> well, that was my plan. And I ended up here before I retired. So um, I will just say that I think uh, two things. I'm healthier. I, you, you wouldn't look at me and think that's a healthy guy, but I've lost quite a bit of weight walking on the beach and not eating uh, stuff. Yeah. And uh, my dog just today would have been his 17th birthday and he made it to 16 years, 10 and a half months. Buddy. And I think the coastal life kept him alive and my other dog uh, for an extra three years. That's worth something, right? Do you have dogs? Are you... Yeah, we have one dog. What do you one have? One dog, two kids. We have a 
Pitbull Lab mix. Beautiful. How old? He's almost two. Okay, so if you can get out here by 2030, 2031 and figure out your life, that, that dog That's will live till 15, 16, 17 years, years old. Yeah, perfect. Well, good. All right, well, listen, I sincerely appreciate how gracious yeah, you were you on so Saturday much. to agree to this. You didn't even know me. So to agree to this a couple of days later and uh, come on and spend more than an hour. I really appreciate it. And it's been a delight. So um, thank you so much. And you thank just, you. you know what you have, uh, my day was kind of quiet and I had a few th strange things happen. Uh, your smile lit up my day. So oh, and I'm sure you. that makes its way into your food too. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope people feel that way. Well, it does. That's why you're doing well. So Thanks. Uh, keep up we'll the good work it. and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Mm -hmm.